Good morning and welcome into the show. It is Daniel Wartman coming to you live from the Dream Imaginate Sports Studios. It is 9 a.m. on the East Coast. This is your 6 a.m. early morning wake-up call in all time zones in between and around the world. Thanks for tuning in. We appreciate it as always. Hope you're having a great morning so far on this Wednesday, April the 29th. Coming up uh, in just a few minutes after the break, uh, we have Doug and Dreesen coming on the show. Uh, excited to bring you this uh, interview that uh, we, uh, it was a Zoom interview that we recorded for the show. Um, and we're going to talk about it, a really important and interesting um, topic as it relates to American soccer. And uh, I, I hope you uh, will will stay tuned for that. Uh, we we get into a very important subject. I have had guests on the show to talk about this subject before. Uh, I don't know that we've had anyone who has uh, been as involved at at this level of the federation on this subject. That is coming up uh, after the break with Doug and uh, and in. I think you're going to, to learn a lot about some of the the mentality, the posture, uh, the worldview, the philosophy, whatever buzzwords you want to use for the leadership of the federation, and uh, and some of the some of the issues that are ongoing facing this federation. And Doug is uh, is is has been gracious enough to to uh, come on and talk about some of these issues. And uh, I don't want to give away all of the uh, the uh, the spoilers. So you're going to have to stay tuned here coming up in just a few minutes about that. But it is worth your watch and your listen. And uh, it's probably. An so that, that many of you are going to want to share uh, when we're talking about the Federation. Um, the Federation has a lot of issues, and, and we talk about some of those. One of the big issues is one that we dig into, and uh, it, it affects our country, uh, both within the, the sport of soccer and, and from you know outside the sport of soccer. And, and I think it's, uh, it, it's definitely uh, an important issue, one that needs to be talked about more um, and, and discussed club level at the league level at the federation level at the association level and uh and and i i look forward to bringing that conversation to you here in just a few minutes i wanted to open the show today talking about this uh this this season we're in it's a season of uncertainty it is a season um of the unknown the Federation certainly, as we've talked about recently on the show, has not done a great job in providing uh, clarity, leadership, certainty where, where in the areas they can provide certainty. We've detailed the, the recent announcement of the, the termination of the Development Academy and how that played out and how that created more doubt, more chaos, more upheaval, even if it was a necessary move and it was a a triage financial triage uh, consideration just the process the lack of communication the lack of giving guidance and leadership in in the in the the wake of the termination of the program like what is coming next here's what we advise here are the next best uh, you know best next steps for example none of that was given none of that was laid out it was like hey we're done we quit, we're taking our ball, we're going home. And in that void, we've got more uncertainty. This is why it is such a big deal and why the current leadership, the new leadership, um, got to, they've got to, got to do better. It's just not good enough. And uh, Cindy Cohn's been around for a long time. And so, you know, she's got an opportunity to change things and, it's not necessarily that the termination of the Development Academy uh, was a decision that didn't need to be made. I think there are arguments on both sides of that equation. My, my stance is that they didn't go far enough, and therefore, if you're not going to go any further, then yes, just get out of the space because you're making it worse. If, if, you're, if that's the decision you're going to take, 
uh, and you are going to terminate it, then do it in a way that's that's beneficial. Don't make things unnecessarily worse in the process in how you do the termination of the Development Academy. So those are areas where I think that the, the Federation and the new CEO, Wilson, have got to do better. They've got to communicate better. They've got to be more open. They've got to be more transparent. They've got to be more accessible to the media. Regular monthly teleconferences would be a good first start. Opening themselves up to questions from media all over the country who, who are wanting to ask questions and, and having media availability, it's going to raise the profile of the Federation, but it's also going to help the Federation uh, you know, be more accountable, more transparent as well. That's an area where I think uh, even if it's uncomfortable questions that, that they need to be opening, opening themselves up to, um, you know, promote the game, do your mission statement. Uh, and that is one way to do it. Uh, another area is, is in our own backyards, in our own communities. Uh, uncertainty is, is kind of everywhere. Clubs are trying to figure out what are we going to do? Where are we going to go? Where are our teams going to play? And in that chaos, you've got people throwing out new leagues and, and creating this initiative and rolling this thing out. Th- th- there's one point I wanted to make on on this issue that in the wake of the termination of the development academy and no clear path uh, coming behind the the federation has not sanctioned anything above anything else it's all operating at the same level at the same space it's all marketing so when a ecnl and a u.s club soccer and a u.s youth soccer and this that and the other all come out saying we've got this we got this program and now we got a girls academy and this that and the other they're just programs and you and your club and your child unfortunately have been thrown into this mess and this chaos and no clear roadmap no clear pathway but the one thing i I would encourage every club every coach every doc every parent is to walk this this season out with eyes wide open. Don't just take marketing speak and run with it as the gospel. Use use your um, sources. Use uh, people that you know and that you trust. Find and research best you know options for you. Best practices for your club. Best you know. Turn, turn to sources that are that are trying to get the right messages out. Things like soccer parenting, where, where they have really, you know, done, and Sky's a friend of the show, she's really done a great job at laying out some initiatives and talking through some of the scenarios and the realities of the aftermath of the DA. And, 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 and listen to shows like this and educate yourselves and, and walk into these seasons with eyes wide open it 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 may not fix all of the issues but it is one opportunity where you can make a decision that's a bit as good a decision as you possibly can just by thinking things through and not being uh captivated by the moment just just pause and breathe and find that space and seek out information. Unfortunately, the Federation has left us in this space, uh, but hopefully sooner rather than later, we can, we can find a way through this. And one of the ways we do that is to get involved. And um, that's actually something Doug and I are going to discuss later in the interview. Uh, our sponsor for this half hour is Ductic Brand, D-U-K-T-I-G-Brand.com. And if you go there today and uh, place an order, maybe you get you a journal or a T-shirt or something, uh, use promo code DWSHOW. You'll get 10% of that order at DuckTickBrand.com. We'll be right back after this.
Well, Doug, I, I appreciate you you taking some time uh, to to come on the show and have a quick chat about just the world of soccer and and yeah. um, you know the different uh, you know things that the news that's broken recently with different the lawsuits and some of the yep. uh, the academy news, etc. Um, and with your background working. Uh, with the, the whole diversity task force idea and stuff like that, when you you know when you you're you're a soccer family um, and your wife and your boys and you all of you, uh, but before we get into all the U.S. soccer pieces, what 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 are the teams that and clubs that you're you and your family support? Like you, your wife, you mentioned before that you. You uh, you all support different teams. What is what's the family makeup like? Well, <laughs> it could get contentious at times. By the way, um, at the dinner table, sometimes we refuse to speak to each other because of a team has lost to another team, right? So I grew up, and I'm still a season ticket holder for Arsenal. So I've been a Gunners fan all my life, um, and I've been to a lot of a lot of Arsenal games, and so and I still have my Arsenal jerseys in my house and. Uh, Tierra Andre autographs and, and Freddie Loomberg and the list goes on and on. Um, and certainly I'm from, and I live in Seattle. So Seattle Sounders are my team, right? My MLS team. And, uh, and I'm an early investor in MLS, early investor in Seattle Sounders when we got the Sounders started. And have since backed out of that. But um, so Sounders are certainly a, a team that we all support. But I have got one son who loves Real Madrid. I am not a Real Madrid, Real Madrid fan. So whenever get a chance to say something bad about me, me neither, by the way yeah I know, over, I over my that. shoulder right there I know. you see you yeah. see my shrine yeah. Yeah. To, these are my two favorite clubs here right Barcelona yeah, and liverpool it. right right so yeah, i get it your son your son would not be allowed to live in my house that's the oh. only rule in my house is you can't be a real madrid supporter just let yeah, him know no, i I get it. I get it, Daniel. So I got a Real Madrid supporter. I got it. And I'm a Barcelona fan as well. I've been to a lot of Barcelona games. I love Barcelona. Um, I got a fan who's a Bayern Munich fan. So he loves Bayern Munich. Uh, we've been over to Germany a couple of times and, and we've become friends with Oliver Kahn, the great goalkeeper of that era. Right? Oliver's, Oliver's been great friends with us, by the way. And whenever it's something, I'll get a text from Oliver about some game see this or did you see that and so it's kind of fun to, to get to know Khan over the years um so uh and my youngest son you know is uh <laughs> is a manchester united fan and i'm oh. i am not a manchester united fan but let me spin that for you is the manager of the manchester united is a norwegian so ole gunnar solskjaer grew up next to our house in norway oh we wow might, on the same block right so, Daniel, growing up, and you can appreciate this, um, and, and Oli is considerably younger than I am, but I knew Oli when he was a little tiny baby, and growing up, I watched him play soccer. I coached him as a little kid when I was in Norway, and, you know, and I always would say, Oli, what do you want to do when you, you know, when you become an adult? He goes, I'm going to play a professional soccer, and I go like, okay, and Oli was always undersized, didn't have the legs, didn't have the stamina, didn't have the power. You're thinking, okay, you know, every kid's dream is to play, and he, and Oli's father is a big Man U fan. And so you go into Oli's room when he was a kid, and he had his room was papered with posters of Manchester United players on his wall, his ceiling. And you're just thinking, and he'd tell you, I'm going to play for Man U. And you're thinking, oh, that's a tough, tough role. Like, good right. luck with that. So we watched Oli grow up, and, and, and he really never excelled right in his, in his youth leagues. He was okay, but he wasn't great. And we thought, and he kept saying, I'm going to play for Man U. I'm going to get a tryout. I'm going to get a tryout. And well, slowly it's. Came around. Then he met Alex Ferguson at one point, and Alex Ferguson um, liked Oli and said, "Okay, well, I'll bring you in and give you a tryout in what they called their academy in those days." And the rest is history. Oli became one of the great Man U players. So now, whenever whenever the season was on, and you know, and a game was on with Man U, Oli would text me before a match, "Hey, are you going to watch us play Liverpool?" And I go, "Yeah, and I hope you lose, Oli." <laughs> <laughs> he go, "What do you mean?" And I go, "Come on, I can't, I just can't support Man U." Right, right. I just can't do it, Oli. I saw against every team, but I can't support you. So we oh, exchanged no. texts over the over the course of the last uh, over the seasons, and of course here recently, where they they you know season was stopped. Oli was he is concerned about his job, and 
I text Oli and I'd say, Oli, I says, I'm going to get you a job back in Norway. Don't worry about it. You can go back to coach youth leagues. <laughs> right. Right. Goes, no, I'm going to go to another premier club. And I go, no, we'll get you back in the youth league. You'll be coaching the youth 17 before you know it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's too funny. So, so were, were, were you born in Norway and then came to the States or? Yeah, I was, I was born in Oslo, Norway. Um, but I came here when I was about four or five years old, Daniel. Okay. Um, my father and mother are both Norwegians, um, both immigrants, by the way, to this country. So I grew up in America, um, grew up playing in America, and I grew up playing soccer when soccer was not a popular sport, by the way. Um, as in most cities, you're in New Orleans, right? I'm just two, I'm two hours east of New Orleans. Oh, right oh, the, yep. oh okay. So in most cities in America, in those days of soccer, soccer was played by immigrants, to be fair about it, or immigrants, kids like myself. And here in Seattle, we're fortunate that we had a huge immigrant population that came over to work at Boeing in the early days. Most of those people were Englishmen, they were Scots, they were Welsh, um, most from the UK, some, some German, German people came over engineers. So we had a big immigrant population in, in Seattle that played soccer way back almost 100 years ago now. And so I grew up playing in what I call ethnic leagues. And I played in Norwegian leagues when I was a kid and some, and some Swedish leagues we played in. And we go up and watch other teams that look across and say, Dad, who are, who are those people there? My dad would look over and go, those are Hungarians. And I go, well, I want to play against the Hungarians. He goes, no, you don't. <laughs> he goes, Hungarians are, you don't want to play against Hungarians. I go, yeah, I do, Dad. I want to play against the Hungarians. So I grew up around a lot of different ethnic groups. And, um, and, and, and that's kind of where my love of the sport became with around ethnic down the Seattle area. And at one point, I remember, you know, in our town, there were Scottish leagues, um, Welsh leagues, English leagues, German leagues, Italian leagues. You didn't play outside of your ethnic background because that's not what you did, unless it was for a championship. And then it was just brutal soccer. <laughs> right, right. It was like, we're going to take those Englishmen down because they don't know how to play soccer. So and uh, how did that shape you like as a as a as a person and as a player with that kind of uh environment growing up playing it really gave me a, a real passion for the sport and it also gave me a good understanding of the sport as well as how passionate you can be about the sport and in america including my kids they don't quite have the passion that i do for the game i mean like you, you're a Barcelona supporter, you're a Liverpool supporter, you're passionate about those teams, right? And you're not going to watch a man you match, you're not going to turn into Arsenal, you're not going to turn into Bayern Munich. And, you know, that's who you are. My kids will kind of watch everything, they have their teams, but it shaped me as a person because I said from a young age, I love this game, I want to play it as long as I can. Um, I still play as an adult, um, although limited because of some injuries. But no, it, it really shaped me. What really shaped me about it, Daniel, was that it was um, a sport that anybody could play. Right, it wasn't expensive to get into, and um, when I when I went through high school, high school soccer still wasn't out there. We played club ball, we called it, and so I had to play American football because that was the sport to play. I was a wide receiver because I had speed. I was a striker in soccer, and that's kind of where it came from. I didn't really love the game; it was always confusing to me. But I played it, you know. And I, I can remember I used to take my my dad to get him to come to an American football game was just like painful. <laughs> He'd come to a game and after the game, I go, Dad, what do you think I scored a touchdown? He goes, like, let, me ask, let me ask you a question, Doug. He goes, Why do they stop in between plays? Are they not smart enough to figure out like two or three plays at once? I go, No, no, Dad. That, that, that's not the way it is. That's the way the game is played. He goes, Well, have them run two or three plays because that will make it a much more exciting game, maybe four plays at once. I go, Dad, that's just not the game. Right. So, because he was a soccer guy and always loved the game of soccer. So, that's how it shaped me. Is it really gave me an appreciation for the sport. It gave me an appreciation that it can be played by anybody and gave me an appreciation um, where one of my passions is, which is diversity. You know, certainly in America is that anybody can play this game, Daniel. And so that's how it really shaped me. And as I became an adult, I would see that this sport had become a rich man's sport, um, as you probably have seen over the course of your career. And it really bothers me when I got involved in soccer, I would sit at my, my local club that I was in and I'd say, how come we're not let these other kids play and how can we can't how can we reduce our fees and what can we do and and finally I became the lone voice out there and I kept speaking up and what happens is you probably know when you speak up at those levels it's certainly become a 
certainly become a club president, then you become an association president, <laughs> then you become a state president, and so forth. And so when I got to those levels of, of those things, and I got involved in U.S. soccer, Senor Galati came to me and, at the time and said, gee, I'd love you. You've got a great passion for the diversity. And he says, I don't know what our committee does, but I want you to head it. <laughs> and that's kind of began the journey with the diversity. And, and that was an interesting story amongst itself. And I got to be fair, by the way, with Sunil Gladi at the time, if we wouldn't have had a federation president who was diverse himself and his family, I don't think we would have even gotten the ball where we did. And that's not saying a lot, but I got a lot of support from Sunil Gladi over the time when, <clears throat> Daniel, a lot of people around me were, were white men, like myself and my same age. And you talk to them about diversity in soccer, and they'd come up to you and they'd say, oh, you're talking about the affirmative action program in soccer. I go, affirmative action? We're not talking about affirmative action. There's <laughs> nothing to do with that affirmative action. But that was a generation that, by the way, is still there in the state associations and in the adult associations, is they think diversity is affirmative action. And I think, as you know, and I know, it's anything but affirmative action. Right. So my question is, to Sunil, and my question to anybody, by the way, and I talk to U.S. youth soccer all the time, is why doesn't your board look like America? Reasonable question to me, right? Reasonable when I go to, to me. When I go to the adult associations, I go, why doesn't your board look like America? Let's just make, the first step we need to do is make those boards, starting at USYS or U.S. club or the adult leagues, and the list goes on, let's make those boards look like America. So if you're Hispanic, Daniel, and you come before the U.S. Youth Soccer Board for whatever reason, let's just, let's just start with the worst case, a disciplinary case for whatever reason, it might get to that level, and you sit before a panel of white men, maybe one white woman on the panel, do you think you're going to get a fair hearing? Absolutely not. You're absolutely not. Much less, Daniel, if you ask for the documents in Spanish of what you're being charged with or what you want to, you know, present to the board or have them present to you, can you get them in Spanish? It doesn't happen. Simply doesn't happen. So my question always in soccer is if we want to really solve our soccer issue in a country, in this country and really be successful with our men's team, because our women's team, U.S. women's team, obviously is world champions. Um, and that's a different discussion as well. But we need to have these these boards starting at your club and my club and our local association, our state level. They need to look like America. Until they do, it's not going to change because right. those those ethnic groups, whatever they might be, we can talk about the Hispanics first because it's the easiest one to talk about. But there's a lots of other groups in the area where you're at and all around the country. I work with I work with the people in almost every major city and a lot of minor cities when I was at the soccer diversity about how we solve this problem. And so whether you are Ethiopian or you're from East or West Africa or you're from Mexico or you're from South America, or even if you're from Georgia and over overseas, um, it's a different different understanding. And what They eat 
brings up. <clears throat> and I think to understand how important the game is to the Hispanic League, you will never cross that chasm and how invite these folks. Um, you know, I'm passionate. I've got to to push me. You see me pushing all the time on social media. Uh, I ask a question. I'm on. I do four interviews with Castle. People, you know. Hey, I got off a guy I've talked to. He's in Poland. Michael. Talk to Michael about person in soccer in America, and the hard part with the Europeans is that. And why, why our U.S. men's team is not better than they are. Them okay. I asked that question first. Well, how come your men's team is in the top three? Yeah, people in the country. And you, you Champion. How many U.S. men's team is in the top three? Well, you don't understand this. That it comes to the right place. And that they don't have in, in those countries. Right. Right. So, Better job. It's people like yourself who are out front, who are speaking, and that forum is from to really raise up and say, it's up to us. We do it. Wait. And when I Nominated for the diversity soccer, it took a while. And finally, I called like, it's been like three months. You know? If you don't want me, I'm fine. No problem with that. But when you come to the next soccer, Uh, former HUD secretary, right? Um, and Donna came to me and I said, Donna, I don't understand what the holdup is. And she says to me, she says, well, do we really think somebody of color should be in that position? And I look at Donna and I go, Donna, I am of color. <laughs> I don't know what you're referring to. She goes, you're white. And I go, you know what, Donna? In some parts of this country, I in the cities, and I am of color. There's a community I go into as a white person and be of color. And she looks at me and she goes, well, I haven't really thought about that. And I go, absolutely, it is, Donna. And the other thing is, I said, Donna, is that I can have conversations with people about diversity that somebody of color cannot have. Because if you're a white guy and you're talking to somebody um, who's Hispanic, who's maybe head of the diversity thing, you may not say what's on your mind, right? Or may not really get to the issue. 
But Daniel, I have people that come to me that I have, I have white friends that will come to me and say things that are horrific as far as racial things. And I'll look at him, I'll say, Daniel, do you know what you just said to me? He was like, what? And I'll go, let me tell you what you just said to me. Let me tell you what I heard. He goes, okay. And I tell him, and he goes, well, that wasn't racial. So I go, well, when you refer to those people, that alone is racial, right? Right. A friend of mine who talks to me about his fans, he, kept say, he keeps saying, those people. And I finally said, I don't know who you're talking about. Who are you talking Just tell me who they are. And he goes, well, you know, the brown people. And I go, the who? Brown people, and I says, that's, "You can't say that. That's racist." And he goes, "Well, that's what it is." And I go, "If your best friend was Hispanic, would you tell him that?" Well, of course not, he says. And I says, "Well, why would you tell me that?" Right. So my point here, Daniel, is that I would have people, and I had a lot of people, by the way, Caucasian people, who come up to me and, and ask me, "Why do you love the brown people so much?" I mean, I've had that asked of me off record, right? off record. And you'd look at him and you'd like, you just asked me again? And, and I'd say, you know, I like everybody. <laughs> I don't why, why do you think that that sentiment or uh, feeling it has been so pervasive within the U.S. soccer part of American soccer? Like the, from, from a federation level, like within the, the ecosystem and the culture why is that? Why has that kind of been something that has, uh, you know, been ongoing? No one really addresses it. You're one of the few people I've ever heard like aggressively uh, attack the issue head on, talk about it, call it out. You know, call for the diversity at, at the board level, and you know, and talk about the. The, the need for representation. Um, but why, why do you think that has been a part of the culture of U.S. soccer for so long? Well, Daniel, it goes back to, to the founding of soccer in America, right? When soccer was found in America, you want to start in the East Coast. Um, I mean, you start in New York, New Jersey, for example, where soccer was played by Italians, right? It was played by Greeks. It was played by a number of different white nationalities, Caucasian nationalities, and they rarely would look at a Mexican game and think Mexicans played good soccer in those days. I'm talking back 100 years ago or, or, or less. And so what happened is those boards began to grow and develop as just Caucasian people, and they would never look south, literally, and say, well, gee, we really like the way the Mexicans play, or we like the way the the uh, the, the uh, Hondurans play, or Panamanians, or whoever they never looked at that because they said well they don't really know the game you know we're italians we know the game or we're english we know the game or we're scottish we know the game whatever it might be and so this attitude has been persuasive um daniel all the way up into the to today where those back to my original statement those people sitting on the boards are caucasian and until they walk in the shoes if you will of somebody of color um they they don't get it and I was quiet for a long time, Daniel, um, when I was at soccer. I didn't say much in the media and because I wanted to be respectful, certainly in my position, which I was. I wanted to be respectful of Sunil Galati. Um, but I'll tell you, I had discussions with U.S. soccer officials who would call my program, and it would be on the agenda as the affirmative action discussion the AGM. I get the agenda two weeks before the before the AGM, and I look at it and I go, uh, I don't even know what this is, and it has my name after it. I call up CEO of uh, U.S. Soccer and I go, Hey, you got my name? Something on the agenda? I'm not sure what I'm talking about, and he goes. Your, your affirmative action. I said, you mean my diversity committee? He said, yeah. And I go, well, it needs to say diversity. It doesn't need to say AG, you know, it doesn't need to say affirmative action. Well, Doug, you know what I mean. And that's the problem, Daniel, is that we have 
people like that in position, and it, it perpetuates today with people like that that are in position that don't think about that perspective. And um, finally, I got to point at the end of my time with U.S. And I said, if it's not me who speaks up, who does? Because I looked around America and I say, who speaks up for the, for the underserved? Who is it? You know? And people like Hugo Perez, they're out there, right? Hugo will talk to you and Hugo will tell you like it is. But those numbers of people are so diminished. Eric will talk about it, by the way, right? Mm-hmm. So when you, talk to, when you talk to Eric, Eric says, I'm going to go find me some players in East Los Angeles because Eric understands that and understands the culture, or at least I believe that he does. You know, very few people will speak up and say, this is what the problem is. And I think Daniel, we have somebody or a group stand up and say, this is what the problem is. My hand up here and say, let me speak about it. Nobody wants to talk about it. So when the Guardian newspaper first contacted me, uh, the U.S. edition at that time, about six or seven years ago, now, and they heard that what I was saying, and they said, well, we want to do an article about you. And I said, okay. So we did an article with the Guardian, and it was, and the headline was a little bit. And before it was published, their attorneys called me and said, We want to make sure you're okay with this headline. And I said, I, Yeah, I'm okay. They had their attorneys in England call me and say, We just want to make sure you sign off on this. I signed off on it and I go, I'm fine. And we published it. And by the way, I got an anti um, comments. I got a lot more anti sides than I did before comments. I would appear on podcasts. I've been on radio shows. I've been, I mean, all across the country in, in a number of years ago, and even today, where they've been calling in sports shows, Daniel, and people have called in, called me racist names. They've called me people. They people will say, "Are you married to a Mexican?" They're like, "What? <laughs> Do you have Mexican kids?" Like, what? You know, and I had people who would say, and I, again, I, as you heard me, I got four sons. And they'd say, well, I'm sure your daughter doesn't feel that way. I go, I don't have a daughter. And they go, well, I, we think you do. We've heard you have a daughter. And so, and I go like, that's not the truth. So, he, and I would appear on, this, on the talk shows as well. And I'd talk to my wife about it. I'd come home distraught, by the way, talking about it. My wife would say, look, I'd say, I'm going to give up. I'm done. I'm out. I'm just going to watch a game like I used to do. And my wife would say, you can't give up because you're the lone voice that's out there. So you just got to find other people that believe the same thing you do. And you got to continue to speak up about it. So I do, Daniel. So in, in terms of uh, looking at the Federation, you worked, I mean, you obviously chaired the diversity task force for a little while. Um, looking at the Federation, does it, does it need some type of official reform at a bylaw or policy type level that mandates some form like the NFL with the Rooney rule, some type of, you know, obligation to diversify. Cause it seems as though right now, at least that um, the Federation at the highest levels, continues to recycle the same people through the same positions, um, and whether that's in inside of U.S. Soccer House, whether that's back and forth to Major League Soccer, uh, Central HQ, whether that's the board level, it's like the same small circle of people that make all the same decisions. And when you look at the state associations and others, you see the same type of people year in and year out. Like I've spoken to people who have, you know, gotten frustrated because they wanted to get involved at their state association level, for example, they can't even find out when, when an election is, um, you know, they can't even, you know, they'd like to, to, to run for a seat or get involved and they can't even find out basic information. Um, you know, is that something that, 
needs to come, you know, as a, as some type of official policy? Is that, is that a governmental oversight piece of the Ted Stevens Act and the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee basically uh, setting forth, you know, from a legal standpoint, requirements on national governing bodies for sport to have, you know, some type of representative uh, or more representative government? Um, because, you know, when you look at the, the federation from a governance standpoint, it's having a conversation earlier today that kind of, is, is similar, similarly in line with this, which is there's no way to throw out the board of directors at U.S. soccer. You can't vote a no confidence and throw them out. There's no provision at all uh, for that to happen. And so when, when you don't have that in place, it seems very difficult from a, if we're looking at this through the lens of diversification, it, it seems very difficult to have diversity um, have influence at a board level at the highest level of U.S. soccer when there's no way to change it. Um, it. It's almost like it's baked in to the way things are done. And I don't see an easy way for diversification and a, and a focus on diversification to really take place without some kind of substantial either internal reforms or governmental oversight reforms. I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. Well, you've asked a lot of questions actually in your commentary, Daniel. And um, let's start. Let's start with a couple of them here. Is one? It starts at the top. And I asked Neil Galati, by the way, let's take our diversity task force and take the task force out of it and make it a committee. That's a bylaw change, by the way, to put underneath U.S. Soccer. If you look at the U.S. Soccer committees underneath on their website, you'll see they've got a disability committee, for example. And a good friend of mine was head of the disability committee. Um, and I said. We need to make this um, a legitimate committee because a task force means what? Well, it means you're temporary. It means you're, you're, you're not existent. You're not officially recognized. You don't have a lot of power and authority. And when you call people and talk to people, you say, I'm part of the task force. They go, you're not a committee, you know? So my first request was, let's make it, let's make it, a, let's make it a committee, make it official. And we had to do that. I mean, it wasn't, didn't get done by the way. The second thing I asked in your body from day one was this, I said, Every sports organization out there, at the professional level where the federation is, has a diversity officer. What I'd like to see is a diversity task force done away with and have a diversity task force officer at U.S. soccer. So whether, if you want to pick U.S. tennis, if you want to pick golf, if you want to pick skiing or snowboarding, aside from the NFL and the, and the Major League Baseball and, and other sports, major sports like that, basketball, Every sport has a diversity officer. Why doesn't soccer, our federation, have a diversity officer? I never got an answer, by the way. Now, at one point, towards the end of Sneal's term, which, of course, he didn't know that was happening, but the end of Sneal's term, he said, I agree with you, we need to get a diversity officer. I said, because you need to take this off the plate of volunteers that are trying to find this solution. You need to have professional help come in, and I'm willing to help them because we've done the, we've done the groundwork. And I said, I'm more than willing to do that and I said, don't get me wrong, I love what I do for U.S. soccer, but it's got to start to talk, Sunil. And Sunil agreed. And by the way, when Carlos got elected, I know Carlos, um, I thought, this is great. Because Carlos certainly comes from a diverse background, um, Portuguese, he understands the issue to some degree. But Carlos never understood the grassroots soccer, Daniel. And that was part of the problem with Carlos Cordero. Nice guy, um, uh, just kind of got brought along, was put in a position maybe by Sunilati. But I really had hope for Carlos at the time, and I saw quickly that Carlos wasn't able to accomplish that. So if we want to change the landscape, we got to start at the top. That's hard to do because they don't recognize that diversity is an issue in this country. When you have players like a young Jonathan Gonzalez, right, who has a choice to play for the United States or has a choice to play for Mexico, and I've talked to Jonathan Gonzalez in, the, in, in those times, and when Jonathan made that decision to say, I'm going to play for Mexico, that was a telling message to U.S. soccer to say, we've got it wrong. Why didn't that young man want to put the stars and stripes on his chest and play for America? Instead, he wanted to play for Mexico. Well, it has a lot to do with recognition, right? Jonathan never got the recognition from the U.S. scouts. He never got any um, encouragement from the U.S. scouts about his play. He Apparently, he thought he wasn't good enough. Well, Jonathan had some skill at that point. I had talked to Eric about this some time ago, by the way, and Eric agreed with me about Jonathan. I've talked to 
Brad Rothenberg, who at that time was head of Alianza. Brad says, absolutely, Doug. And there's a hundred Jonathan Gonzalez's out there. And he says, and they continue to play with the crest of Mexico if they're from Mexico, as opposed to the United States. And I said, that's wrong. We want those kids to make the choice of playing for the United States. But we've got to recognize them, Daniel. We've got to give them the recognition to say, we want you in the United States. We want you to play for the country um, that you now have adopted. So, so the changes have to happen at the U.S. soccer. And it's going to be slow. It's a hard process. Um, again, I'm optimistic with Cindy. Um, I know Cindy. and I, She's got a lot on her plate right now. I get it. they got to get through some major issues at U.S. soccer. And uh, so I hope that she's able to come around with that. She's probably pretty inundated, I would assume. But barring from that, you've got to start at your grassroots level. In your town, in your community where you come from, you got to say, hey, where's my diverse community? Let me help this person run for my local grassroots board. Because once he or she gets there, Daniel, they can then ascend up the, up the ladder to get the U.S. soccer, if that's what they desire. But they've got to have the support, and they don't have the support now. And the support that you have to give to those people in your community, you've got to be there 24-7, 365, Daniel. Because if you're not, and you only make a commitment for six months, and it's a tough six months, let me tell you, because the person will come to you and say, I'm frustrated because they're not listening to me. They don't understand what we mean by culture. They don't understand what we mean by how we love the game, et cetera. Um, it's, they're not going to succeed either. So you got to have offer them support. And so until we get that change at U.S. Soccer, Daniel, we've got to get the support at the local level. Because you're right. I went to U.S. Soccer AGM for over 20 some years. I sat on my U.S. on my Washington State Soccer President role for almost nine years. I've been on the was on the board for 20 years. New people never came in. I tried hard to get new people. They just recycle old people. You know, and somebody drop out and they. Well, Daniel hasn't been involved in a year. Let's bring Daniel back. And when they bring Daniel back, and you're like, no, we need to bring new people in. So you've got to be a cheerleader for your community. And you've got to encourage people of color to be run, to be interested in those positions, and not be ridiculed when they get there, by the way, and make them feel welcome, because many times they're not. And that's why they choose not to participate, because they don't feel welcome. Daniel, I've talked to people from every, all parts of the country, I mean, during my time in diversity, I mean, in small areas, small communities, like perhaps where you're from, or from uh, North Carolina, I mean, just all around the country, and people would express frustration because people of color couldn't get what you say into these positions, and I would encourage them to do so, and it was very frustrating when we'd find somebody that really had some potential, and they would move up positions, and then they would get stymied, or they'd get stonewalled, or they would get discouraged, and not run. And, and they would drop out and they'd say, I'm just going to go back and be my coach. I'm going to be my administrator. I'm fine with that. And that's great. And I'd say, we need your leadership. And they'd say, I'm, I'm done. You know, um, you look at Dorsey in, in, in Philadelphia. And I talked to Dorsey a lot. And I said, Dorsey, you've got a, you've got a great community. You really got to step up and do this. And, and he does. He stepped up and he got stonewalled at a while. And he said, finally, he said, Doug, I'm back. I'm going to go back and do what I want to do and run his program. And he did. And he does a great job. So, that's where it starts, Daniel. It starts at U.S. soccer. We've got to make a change at U.S. soccer. We can't let up the pressure. If you let up the pressure, and I love what our friend Chris does, by the way, on social media. You know, you look what Chris from West Virginia, West Virginia, right? Yep. Chris you Kessel, what, West Virginia. Yeah. You look what Chris Kessel does. I love what he does. He, he questions, he calls out, and he's gotten involved. You see him go to the AGM. I love all that stuff from Chris. He's passionate about it. And uh, we need more people like Chris out there is what we need. Because my time's going to come and go, you know. Right. Yeah, I just I look at it from a from a systemic level, uh, you know, and and representation is is to me a, a key um, a key issue that mm -hmm. has definitely to me left uh, U.S. soccer vulnerable uh, to the point to where I think some of the lawsuits we've seen recently. Um, it may not be directly related to, you know, racial issues or racism directly, but if you zoom out um, kind of the, the next layer up, it's about inclusion versus exclusion. And, and really when you're talking about diversity, that's one big key element of it to me that has to be discussed when you're talking about the idea of diversification and a diversity task force is 
why? Why, why does that matter? And to me, it, it matters because it should be about inclusivity. This should be about opportunity and access for players, coaches, clubs, et cetera, which if you, if you take this out of the, you know, diversity uh, specific conversation for just a moment and you, and you zoom out to a level where you're talking about inclusivity, our entire structure and system within U.S. soccer, the pay-to-play system, the, the uh, lack of, of merit-based access on an uh, adult, amateur, and professional level, all of these issues point back to a cultural um, issue within the Federation, which is this lack of inclusion. Um, there, there does not seem to be a desire to match up the mission statement, which is to make soccer in all of its forms, the preeminent sport in America and to oversee that growth and expansion and, 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 and et cetera. And, and yet we look at it, what, what happens from a programming standpoint, from a rule standpoint, from a task force or committee or board level standpoint, and it doesn't really match what the stated mission is uh, in terms of the topic of inclusion. How important is it to you when looking at this diversity issue that the, the conversation uh, surrounding inclusivity, opportunity, access, making those, uh, as you mentioned, like the Jonathan Gonzalez's of the world feel valued, uh, that they are seen, they are heard. How important is that from a cultural sh- culture standpoint for the federation to really be able to um you know one day reach its potential because it's it's nowhere close to reaching its potential now you mentioned before how how other countries are just dumbfounded not better than we are especially on the men's side of the of the game um but i think that comes back to this culture issue right of of lack of inclusivity how important is that to get corrected in order for us to be able to to be better uh, not just at the national team level, but all the way throughout the culture of the federation. It's, it's, it's absolutely the n- number one issue, Daniel, without doubt. And we have proofs that it works. I mean, let's go back and talk about, uh, talk about Clint Dempsey, for example. You know, I've talked to him many times, and you look where Clint grew up playing soccer, right? Nogadoos, Texas. And you look at the style that Clint played. What made Clint so dangerous, both in his club team, Seattle Sounders, and in America, and in his U.S. national team, was that he was he couldn't. It was hard to defend against a Clint Dempsey, right? He got down within that 20 feet. Is he going to turn left? Is he going to turn right? What's he going to do? Because you know he didn't know what Clint was going to do, and he became effective at scoring goals because he was so unpredictable. The problem with U.S. soccer now is we're predictable. You had they bring kids up who are strikers all their lives. They're midfielders all their lives. They're a goalkeeper all their life. They didn't play the multiple positions like Clint Dempsey did as an example. So you see the success that Clint had. Take DeAndre Yedlin, again, from my local area. Look at the success that DeAndre Yedlin has had. You know, comes from a difficult background. And this kid was undersized, had the speed from a young age. And again, DeAndre used to tell us, I'm going to play pro soccer. And you're thinking, DeAndre, you've got a lot, you've got a long ways to go, you know. And DeAndre had it in his heart to play from a difficult background. And you look where DeAndre's playing. But we made DeAndre feel welcome, and that's why DeAndre succeeded, because he, every place we played in his area, we felt DeAndre be welcome, and he had a strong drive to be a player. So you go back to, to, to the topic of being inclusive. We must be inclusive to be successful going forward, because without it, it's, it's simply not going to work, and the models are out there that it works over and over and over. So really, whether it's the men's team or the women's team, we still need more inclusivity on the women's team. Look at the, bring up your picture of the last World Cup championship women's team. How many women do you see of color on that team, right? So the world champions, which we all love, certainly, but how much, you know, how much um, diversity do you see in the team? When Hope Solo was there, you heard Hope talk about that as well, that we need more diversity, we need to be more inclusive. And Hope came from a tough background and, and she achieved this incredible status over her career, obviously. So we need to be more inclusive, Daniel. And we need, again, we need people to speak up, people to raise their hand like a Chris Kessel and say, yeah, I'm in. I'm going to discuss the topic with people. I'm going to be, um, I'll be forceful. I'll be attacking if I have to be. I'll be respectful when I have to be as well. I got to know when to back off and say, okay, I may not win this battle, but I'm going to win the war. 
You got to know when to when to say those things. You got to be respectful overall of the, of the game of soccer. And um, until we get people like that, people like yourself who are out there doing these podcasts and raising the issue, and you're concerned about it like we are, like I am, we're not going to succeed. Yeah, I agree. Um, as we kind of wrap up today, I, I would like to ask you one final question, and that is for anyone watching uh, or listening to this interview, what is one to maybe a few things that they could do right where they are to get involved and improve this lack of inclusivity and, and improve the diversity, whether that's at a club level, whether that's at an association, league level, et cetera. Become a mentor. That's the best word you can say. Become a mentor. Become somebody that find somebody that you can mentor. Be a mentor yourself. Um, stand up and be a leader, Daniel. That's what you can do right now is be a leader. So when you're in your local club or your, um, your region or your state association, become a leader. Stand up and be willing to say, I'm going to take the heat. But because what I believe in, that we need the people of color to play this game. And we need more of that. That's what you can do right now today. And we get more people like that, we're going to make changes. I mean, we've made incremental changes along the way. And as I said, when I became chairman of the Diversity Task Force, my goal was always, always to get the ball down to the 20-yard line. That's all I wanted. It was just I wanted to be outside the box. If I get outside the box, I was happy with my, with my objectives. I never got there. I made the ball roll one revolution. So I'm not even out of the center circle yet, Daniel. But I've moved the ball one revolution because I've been vocal about what I believed in, and I speak about it despite the people that want to send me hate messages, despite the people that say, Doug, you're wrong, or Doug, we are inclusive in our club. Just last week, somebody called me and said, you know what, Doug, we are really inclusive. We just let two Hispanics come and play in our boys' U17 team at a state level. My answer was, what? And they go, yeah, we got two kids, we scholarship. And I go, let me ask you a question. Where'd those kids come from? Well, they came from a local Hispanic team. I go, so how does that Hispanic team feel when you come in and say, I want players number three and number nine. I don't want the rest of you. So now you take off their best players of number three and number nine. What happens to the Hispanic team? Well, they start losing, right? Now the Hispanic team builds up that resentment like, well, they're going to come in and take more players, you know? So the bridge is not built. The culture isn't built because we don't understand that. But the other, on, the, on, the, on all this all Caucasian boys team, they've got two Hispanic players. Well, we got the best players. So we all being inclusive. It's not about that, Daniel. It's about saying, let's be respectful to that Hispanic team. Let's be respectful to this other team as well. Because eventually what will happen is these two kids who are scholarship are going to play for a year, maybe a year and a half. And I see it happen over and over and over. And pretty soon what happens? They go back to that team, right? Because now that team they're playing on, if they become successful, let's say they start going to regional tournaments. Let's say they go to national tournaments. Let's just say they play outside the state as teams do. Who's going to pay for that, right? At some point, the team's going to go, well, wait a minute. We got two guys that, that were scholarship, and now we've got to pay their airfare, their hotel, their, their food. When we go play in San Diego or go play in New Orleans or go play in whatever tournament you want to choose, and pretty soon they're going to go, well, wait a minute, this is, we can't do this anymore. So let's just drop those kids off, put them on the bench. Well, pretty soon those kids are going to go, well, wait a minute, what's happened? My play hasn't diminished. What's diminished is the passion that this club has for these kids. So what can you do in the community? You can, you can walk in their shoes. You can look through a different lens, be diverse, be inclusive. Think about what you say before you say it and turn around and help our community grow and we'll have a better game. Absolutely. Well, Doug, I appreciate your time. It's always uh, good to hear your thoughts on the subject. Um, you're, you're obviously well-versed and well-experienced uh, on, on the subject and, and have like, you know, been involved for so long in the game. Um, you know, keep, keep fighting the good fight. Uh, there, we got a long way to go as you and I both know. Uh, but uh, hopefully um, others like Chris and myself, as well as, many others uh, will will kind of join, continue to join in that call and it'll get amplified and we can see some more progress uh, in that area of inclusion and, and opportunity and, um, you know, whether that's at a board level, whether that's at uh, uh, an association level, a club level, um, just, you know, wherever you're at, find a way to, to help and get involved and 
hopefully uh, we can we can see some progress that yep. really gives us some substantive change because I really feel like in the end um, all of American soccer will be better off uh, if yep. we become more inclusive. So um, anyway, I, I really appreciate your time. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for coming on. We look forward to having you back on uh, again soon. If, if somebody wanted to connect with you, social media wise or whatever to, to continue to kind of maybe get some ideas from you on this issue. Uh, is Twitter the best way to do that? And, and if so, you know, how could they do that? What, what would be the way to, to get in touch with you? Yeah. Twitter, Daniel is how you found me perhaps. Um, yeah. Communicate with me through Twitter. And then we can continue conversations. I'm more than happy to talk with anybody. I'm more willing to reach out and help anybody that I, that I can, uh, that I can do. So I take a lot of calls every day from people who said, Doug, I need help. Give me some ideas. Give me concepts. Who do I talk to? What do I say? What do I don't I say? So, um, uh, I mean, every week, Daniel, I might get 25 to 30 requests like that. So but I respond to everybody, you know, um, within everybody I can help. So, yeah, reach out to me. Let me know what I can do to help. And, Daniel, I want to thank you for what you do, by the way, in the podcast. And I think you're doing a great job. Um, the issues you bring forward that you talk about, I think need to be talked about. And I think this forum is absolutely perfect and we need more people like you out there. So thank you very much. Well, I, I appreciate it. Um, just, uh, you know, trying to do my part of, of what <laughs> I can to, to yep. spread some cheer and, and, and really honestly, it's, it's, you know, like you want to see American soccer reach its potential. Yep. That's the ultimate goal, right? It's, 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 that's the big idea here. And uh, so, you know, having guests like yourself and, uh, and, and others, Chris Kessel, um, who, you know, talk about ideas of ways to make American soccer better, um, you know, that's what we're about. So I appreciate the, the kind words and, and together we can make this thing better. So appreciate your time today. Look forward to having you back on again uh, soon to, 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 to discuss this uh, issue and some other issues more, but, uh, um, you know, best of luck uh, as you're weathering this pandemic up there in the in the northwest, and uh, and hopefully, um, you know, we'll uh, we'll all come out of this and better off in the end in terms of learning some lessons during this uh, yeah. crazy time. Uh, I think this is one lesson that would make us all better going forward. Uh, the the need and importance for inclusion and diversity. So. Thanks for your time, Doug. We look forward to having you back again in the future and appreciate you coming on today. Daniel, next time we'll put a USA jersey up behind you, okay? <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right, okay. my man. Thank you. Yeah. Take care. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. I'd like to thank Doug for coming on the show and uh, spending some time with us. Uh, a lot of good insight, a lot of good uh, comments about the state of U.S. soccer, diversity, and what we can do to change things and to get involved. Uh, uh, just a big thanks to him for coming on the show. You can watch, as always, at danielworkman.com forward slash watch. We'll see you again tomorrow.